What is your relationship to having your needs met like these days? What might you need? Because remember, having needs is not the same as being needy. Acknowledging and meeting our needs is how we meet our best work and our best living. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Bain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. Or hey, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm so glad you're here. I am Carly Fain and I am back here in the studio and my voice is back here with me. You know what I'm talking about if you happen to be here for last week's episode when I was just beginning to get laryngitis. And let me tell you, it got worse before it got better. And I am so thankful that I was able to get the rest that I needed in order to recover here. And I'm also thankful that having my voice back meant I got to talk to one of my clients recently. She just turned 60 years old. Happy birthday. And she's been running a consulting firm in the medical industry for a while. And so together, we've been working to hatch a plan to help her transition into through the next year or two, the wellness space. So what we're doing is we're taking what's been her part-time job, but full-time passion, supporting the well-being of others from side hustle to main gig. And so together, we've been mapping out this kind of step-by-step plan of over about 18 months that really allows her to have a graceful transition into this new career. But when we were talking just a couple days ago, she pointed something out and her voice started to swell with emotion on the phone. And she said, look, Carly. I know that creating this gentle transition for me is the way to go and that I need pockets of rest and respite to think clearly here and to recover from having worked so hard and to also make really good decisions moving forward. Plus, this protects my financial well-being too, and that I don't have to sweat money. And on my stock options that I've got in my current company are going to be safe and sound. And this also just really lets me take my time doing my research and laying a solid foundation before I step into a new field. But, she said, and this was a big but, there is a little voice in my head that keeps saying I should just quit my job and jump in and figure it out. Because the truth is, I know I'm over this current role that I've been in. I've been over it for a long time and I'm meant to do something differently. But while I know I could do that, I know that I could jump in and figuring out the truth is I have been jumping in every day and making myself figure things out in an intense environment for decades. And I have been exhausting myself in the process. And I really just want to experience a new way. And so she and I, we paused and we held this for a little bit, both things being true that she could jump in and and just figure it out. She knows she's capable of learning how to swim if she needs to, or she could try this other way. And we realized something powerful here. Right now, at 60 years old, this woman, who is a proud mother and grandmother and sister and daughter and friend and nature lover and business owner, this is the first time in her whole life that she is getting to discover what her own unique pace is. And so in contrast to having always had to push harder than her body or her mind or her spirit really wanted to, any amount of pausing and being thoughtful can feel really foreign. And that voice that says, push harder, go faster, it's still there and it's still strong, even if it's not necessarily accurate. And so this month, as we've been discussing the ways that we can leverage rest and thoughtful pauses as a professional tool This client is modeling what, frankly, I would consider level two in terms of rest. Level one is giving ourselves rest when we need it desperately, because we need to repair or restore or revive ourselves in order to do better work. For example, me getting laryngitis wasn't really optional. I literally, after recording last week's episode, had virtually no voice left. But level two is to not wait 
until we are entirely depleted in the first place. It's to do what she is doing, which is to dare to pause and consider how we build in what our body actually needs into our professional strategy. So today, we're going to go a little deeper into the highlight moments from this month as we explored, number one, the history of no rest in our culture and why overworking triumphed and how women are reclaiming productive downtime. We also talked about how we rebound from a rest deficit. So if you know that you're already in that level one phase, this is how pros are getting more rest and recovering. And then of course this month, we had a great episode called Being Hospitable to Yourself. How to build rest and recovery into your work life so that you aren't having to choose between better work and results or better rest. Rather, those two things can be connected and supporting one another. In fact, I went out and I looked for a professional field that is known for burnout. And you're going to hear clips from me speaking with restaurateur Dan Landis about how he managed in the hospitality industry to make a healthy lifestyle available to himself and his team and a very candid reflection on what did and didn't work when he gave that a whirl. So today you can expect to walk away from this episode, knowing a little bit more about how to spot the difference between hard work and overworking, and how our work and personal lives became separate in the first place, and of course, why more work or more effort doesn't always equal more or better results. And then of course, we also are going to refresh ourselves around the types of rests we can choose from so that you can see what you're naturally already good at and just honor that rather than having to force yourself to squeeze all sorts of restful practice into your already full days. Because I don't know about you, but anybody ever told you to calm down when you're not feeling calm when you're worked up about something? That's never been effective, right? Ever. Those are fighting words. Calm down. Telling a woman to calm down when she's ramped up does not calm us down. And I think there's something similar about self-care, right? Telling you, hey, woman, you've got a busy plate. You need to do self more self-care. Sometimes that is equally as frustrating. Self-care can easily turn into just more burdens for a woman that's already burdened. Sometimes we need community care. We need to be part of the conversation that normalizes and supports the fact that if you have a body, it has needs. And having the space and means to tend to those needs is a basic human right that should be available to all of us and celebrated when we see another woman taking care of herself. And that way we support each other. So speaking of which, this is the part of the show where I get to give a shout out. And today I want to shout out to tennis star Naomi Osaka. Now you might have caught the headlines last month when Naomi withdrew from the French Open after clashing with the officials over her desire to skip some of the media interviews in order to prioritize her mental health. She found that being in the spotlight all day long does not serve her both as a professional and as a person. And Osaka's brave decision caused her to be thrust into the center of a very hot public debate about what sports demand of athletes who compete at high levels as well as the extreme burdens placed on minorities in traditionally white-dominated spaces. And so I really appreciate, Naomi, your decision to incorporate rest as needed into your days. It is inspiring and courageous and a powerful reminder to all of us to do the same and to look at the systems, the companies, the institutions that aren't making space for that and demanding that we do better and that we support one another a little more wherever possible. So as we're entering into this Olympic season this year, may we all remember the pressure that these athletes are under and the sometimes unreasonable expectations and demands we can place on leaders and remember that they are not here to sacrifice their bodies, their brains, their spirit for our viewing pleasure and neither are you. So as you listen in today, my invitation is to suspend some judgment here for a moment and just notice, how are you doing? Really, in this moment, what is your relationship to having your needs met like these days? What might you need? Because remember, 
Having needs is not the same as being needy. Acknowledging and meeting our needs is how we meet our best work and our best living. And hey, if a sound clip that you're about to hear in this conversation stands out to you, know that A, you can catch the full episode. It was part of wherever you're listening to this episode. So I'll also put a link to all three episodes that we're going to reference here in the show notes, as well as links to a couple other episodes we've done that help women reclaim pockets of time so that you have the wiggle room to get some rest in the first place. But starting with this episode is a perfect place to enter this conversation. And I want you to keep an ear out as you're tuning in for the parts that land with you, because I would love to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. So head on over to iTunes, leave a review so that I can include your thoughts in an upcoming episode and give you a shout out. Or hey, easier yet, send a voice memo over to Anitza at everybodythrive.com. That's A-N-I-T-Z-A at everybodythrive.com. I'll put a link to her email in the show notes too. And just tell us a takeaway or something that landed with you or a thought that's bubbling up around this conversation of rest because your thoughts and your voice will inspire other women too. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see, women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know that boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. There's something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to carlyfane.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into. Plus, Lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. Just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. So first things first, let's start this conversation by recognizing the difference between hard work and overworking as we share a clip from episode 87. This is a history of no rest, why overworking triumphed and how we reclaim productive downtime. Years ago, I was sitting in my home studio. I used to have this really sweet home studio when I lived in Western Massachusetts, and sometimes clients would come to do work retreats with me in the studio. And there was this young woman sitting on my sofa. She was an entrepreneur in the wellness space. She taught yoga and other similar things, and she was doing what we used to call the Berkshire Shuffle which is this really common practice for folks who work in the wellness space, not just in the Berkshires, really anywhere, where maybe you have to be at multiple studios or you're working with private clients where you travel with them. And so it's a lot of running around throughout the day to get from one place to the next. And she hired me because she was afraid of burning out. She was aware that all of her income was dependent upon herself. And she just had this fear of stretching herself too thin. And so She's describing her job to me. She's describing not wanting to burn out. And then she also starts to describe some of the symptoms she's already having. Symptoms like severe chronic migraine. She was having digestive issues, fatigue issues. She was feeling really foggy. There were days where she was having a hard time getting out of bed at all. It felt like depression was creeping in. And as she's going through this laundry list of things she's already feeling, I, I felt this thing bubbling up in me and I, I didn't want to say it for fear of offending her. And I'm pretty sure that I did when I finally said, wait, hold on one second. Just out of curiosity, 
How will we know when you do reach burnout? Because of having chronic migraines and feeling really foggy, having a tough time getting out of bed in the morning is already happening. What do you think burnout's going to look like? And she burst into tears. She was incredibly frustrated in that moment and I'm sure exhausted. And she said, I don't know. I'll, I'll know when I get there. This isn't it. These are minor things. This isn't what burnout looks like. So I said, okay. And I let it be because it was clearly a tender area. And we continued to talk about her business plan and what she wanted to do moving forward. And as she was mapping out her steps, she brought up an appointment she's got with an endocrinologist because her kidneys are beginning to fail. And she mentioned how she hasn't had her period in two and a half years and some actually very serious medical symptoms were going on. And that's when I said, okay, hold on. I think we need to map out a plan that reconnects your business to your body. Because if you're in your late 20s and you're already having such severe symptoms, as she reports as a result of the amount of work that she has to put in, the amount of push that she's doing, it's time for us to begin to discern the difference between hard work and overworking. For many of us, this woman being an example, and I know I have been right there in her shoes too, we're confusing effort with worry, with stress, with mounting anxiety or obsessive thoughts. I cannot tell you how often I have felt like I've worked really hard all day when really I was just having obsessive thoughts about certain projects or clients or tasks, but I wasn't really doing much with those thoughts. And in moments where that happens, my day gets full. I feel exhausted or spent at the end of it. And I feel like I've earned the right to relax because it's been so hard. But really, not much progress has been made. And so then the next thing you know, it's the next day and we've got to start all over again. There's plenty to do. I don't know if any of that is related to you or not, but this certainly reminds me of what Dan Pallotta wrote in a Harvard Business Review article recently, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes here. He said, I can hunch over my computer screen for half the day, churning frenetically through emails without getting much of substance done, all the while telling myself what a loser I am. I leave at 6 p.m. feeling like I put in a full day and given my level of mental fatigue, I did put in a full day, end quote. And yet most of that day wasn't necessarily productive. What I was referencing in this episode is really part of the root issue when it comes to getting the rest we need, because somehow our work and our personal lives became fragmented as if they're two separate things. And that's why we often feel pulled in so many directions. And the idea of work-life balance only exists because it inherently is elusive when we see these things as oppositional to one another. Because really, there's no such thing as work you and home you and friend you and boss you or spouse you or partner you or volunteer you or relaxing you. You are one whole being. So let's talk about how this fragmented way of looking at work and life came to be in the first place. So as we talk about rest or productive downtime, as I prefer to call it, isn't viewed as profitable. I want to reference this great article that Eliza Sangster wrote. She wrote this in Forbes magazine. And this, like every other piece of research or article I mentioned, is there's a link to it right here in the show notes, wherever you're listening in or you can head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast, and you'll see all the references so that you can click into any of these and go deeper if they speak to you. But she wrote this article, Lisa Sangster, called The Patriarchy Invented the Nine to Five Workday. Here's how we remake it with women in the room. And you can see, (laughs) of course, I was interested immediately to read the article, but she breaks down how workplaces and our financial systems were designed by men for men. And I want to be even more specific here. They were designed by men and for men during times in which there was common social structure that made sure that men didn't have as many familial or social obligations because they either lived at at home with their mother still, or they were married to a woman who would manage all that, which meant that it was seen as two separate things. Work life was seen as totally different from personal time. And this created a huge split in the way we function out in the world, right? This idea that there should be one version of us that's at work and one version of us that is at home and that 
They are totally separate things when really we are all whole beings. <laughs> and so this created kind of this perfect patriarchal storm here where markets can operate for the whole of the workday and employee hours extend long beyond the opening and closing bells in that market because that's what's required in order to get it all done and have a life outside of work. And so if you are in a place where perhaps you don't have somebody at home running everything for you, if you don't have somebody who cooks all your meals and does all your cleaning and arranges your social calendar and, I don't know, takes your car to the car wash or refills your subway card or whatever it is that you need to get throughout the day, then it's easy to be feel as if you're getting pulled in many directions. And what's fascinating is that many women internalize that this sense of not having, quote, work-life balance means that they are doing something wrong. And I just want to bring that clearly to the surface. Perhaps there's nothing wrong with you if you're feeling like you can't do all the things. Perhaps there's something structurally wrong with our systems that are causing us to feel like we have to sacrifice our health or our well-being or our relationships in order to get the work done properly or vice versa. And so when we stop treating ourselves as fragments that have to function doing all these individual things as if they weren't connected, well, then we can start to build more flexibility into the ways we work. And we don't need work-life balance as much as we need work-life mojo, as we need a sense of them supporting one another. And in this way, we destigmatize the basic human need for rest and a life that refuels you outside of work. And in this way, we start to normalize, both for you, but for everyone, that prioritizing a sense of community, a sense of friendship or family or health is an acceptable approach for everybody. So that you or your coworkers, your best friends, no longer need to be the oddball for saying, hey, I actually need to take a little bit of a breather right here. Okay. Now that we are in the conversation about where this fragmented notion of work self being separate from the rest of yourself came from, it's time to talk about another myth, that more work or harder work equals better output. So let's talk specifically about that. Let's talk about some of the research that's disrupting this idea that more work equals more productivity, that old narrative. So the following case study highlights how the patriarchy isn't really working well for anyone, men included. This is not a gender-specific awareness that we've got here. This is an article of research from the Harvard Business Review about what's really holding women back. And what they find is that in order for companies to address inequities in terms of how hard it is for women to work and earn a place at the table, they often have to address the long-hour problems that they're having. And when I say long hour problems, I mean the expectation that we should be working more than is reasonable for any given human body. What we have found time and time again is that long hours do not raise productivity. In fact, they have been associated with decreases in performance, an increase in sick leave costs, increase in having to work more hours, even though we're not bringing forth any new significant work. And what's particularly fascinating about this moment in history is we are watching women time and time again walk away from senior level positions because they refuse to sacrifice themselves in the way they watch the women before them have to do so. We have seen the fallout of divorce rates go up. We've seen the fallout of women have serious health conditions as a result of not getting the rest they needed and having to be on the clock all the time. And we know that we want a better way than that. And the way forward includes rest. And when I say rest, I mean more rest than you think is reasonable. (laughs) And I say that specifically with every high achieving woman that I work with, because the bar for rest is just set so low. I know that I, even to this day, once in a while, will judge my body thinking, oh my gosh, Carly, how could you possibly need more rest right now? You rest far more than the average person in your type of position. And yet you still feel like you need a nap or you just need to go for a walk or you need a couple hours off. What is this about? 
But I am aware now, having caught this thought process for years, that I'm comparing myself to such an extremely overworked population that, of course, any amount of rest can feel like too much right? when there's virtually none happening or what we often see happening for women is fits and starts around rest, a sense of being so depleted that we'll finally take an afternoon off or a weekend off or maybe even a week. But by the time we come back, so much work has mounted that we catch up as quickly as we can. And before we know it, we're in that loop again of exhausting ourselves, then needing to check out and then starting all over again. And this is really hard for anybody, but we find this particularly challenging for people who run their own companies because with that all in, all out extremist type of work, there's often an all in, all out financial situation too, where maybe you make a bunch of money, you're able to work with your clients around the clock, and then you're so depleted that when you can't sustain that, then the finances die off. So that as you do get some rest, you begin to panic, have to jump in all again at full force and repeat the cycle all over again. You know, another way of looking at what I was talking about in this last clip is remembering that just like the rest of nature, we have natural bodies too. And all of nature has its own rhythms and cycles. For example, the sun rises and it sets. The gravitational pull of the moon is strong enough to cause our ocean's tides to ebb and flow multiple times a day. Or there are rainy seasons and dry spells. And when all is working and nature is in harmony, these things alternate to create balance and a sustainable environment where seeds can bloom and then blossom and then die and return to the soil to start all over again. So when we stop fighting the cycles of rest and output that our bodies like, we can begin to leverage each of these personal seasons for the gifts it brings. And in this way, we stop wasting all this valuable time and energy resisting our biology, and we start to leverage our biology as an additional professional resource. And who doesn't want to be just a little bit more resource? Now, I know this all sounds well and good, but how does this work in real life, right? How do we take time when our plates are full or we know we need a break, but we don't want what's already good to fall apart? Well, in episode 88, we talked specifics. I owe a tremendous part of my success and prosperity to rest. Rest, R-E-S-T, and generally doing less than many folks in my field. Now, let me be clear. I do enough. There's not a lot of lazy bones in my body, unless it's Christmas time, because then I am super lazy about gift shopping. That does not motivate me. I'm usually trying to talk to my loved ones into skipping the gifts so we can all just hang out together rather than having to hunt for things in stores. But when I say I do less, I mean I do far less busy work than most of my colleagues, tons less, and it works wonders. Because what I've come to find in a saturated and competitive market is that one way to stand out and be the person other people want to be around or hire or collaborate with or give opportunities is just to be the slightly more rested than average person in the room. Because a rested woman is rare and she shines. (laughs) She stands out. They downright beam. Rested people are genuinely present. They can really listen. They can discern what is false urgency and what is actually important. And then they just do more of the important stuff, not trying to do all the things. So it was about five years ago, maybe six, when I had decided to get off the road from being the live-in coach to one high-profile client at a time and figure out a way to begin to get a little bit more rest myself. I was afraid that I was nearing the edge of burnout. I had no idea that, like many driven folks, I had long actually been completely burned out, but had adapted to it and was operating in a way that was less than functional without even being aware of it. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But what happened when I made the switch was that my former fiance ended up getting very sick and passing away within a two-week span of time. It was quite quickly. And in that moment, I was so rocked to my core 
So I was doing a complete shift of my business model, taking what felt like a huge leap in that moment, having no idea if I could reposition my business to still be financially viable if I wasn't having to travel with all of my clients. And then this major life event happened. And me, the person who always has it all together, or at least looked that way, couldn't even fake having it together. I remember just being entirely useless. One dear friend came over to scoop me off the floor. Other dear friends made me meals or sat with me. And I remember being terrified, thinking there is no way that I can show up and do extra right now to get this business repivoted. Is everything going to fall apart? Like what's going to happen? And so what I did was I scaled back to the absolute essentials. I was able to continue to show up for a few core clients, but I stopped doing all the extra things, all the additional project and goals that I had. It just, it had to be tabled. There was no way around it. And what was fascinating was at the end of that year, we had made significantly more revenue than the year prior. And not only did things not fall apart, but we had streamlined the entire business. Now, rather than needing to do many things, we were very clear on the three main things that we were going to focus on. And it turned out that by clearing out that busy work, we did so much more of what actually really mattered. And I share that story because it's an extreme circumstance, right? But it's also a great example of being forced to take a break. And a lot of us have brushed up against something like that. Sometimes we can have the foresight to sense that rest is necessary and we might even take it. But other times we sense perhaps some of the behaviors that you and I are about to go over here in a minute are cropping up and they're not really serving us, but we still have the tendency to try to push on through for fear that things might fall apart or that we might fall behind or that something important won't get done. And none of that has been proven to be the case. Now, we all know that when we're rested, we feel better and we likely perform better too. But check out this bit of research from the same episode where we recognize that the way people perceive us is significantly improved when we have the nourishment we need. In fact, the numbers here are a little bit too big to ignore. So let's talk about a few key benefits of getting quality rest, especially when it comes to being a leader in your world. And when I say leader, perhaps you run a company, perhaps you run a company of one, perhaps you're just the leader in your household, or you want to be the leader in your own day. What we're finding, and Christopher M. Barnes for the Harvard Business Review wrote a great article that corroborates that, Sleep Better, Lead Better, is that sleep allows us to consolidate more stored memories, which makes our cognitive functioning a lot better. It's also allowing us to process our emotional experience. And we replenish the glucose, the molecules that fuel our brain. And we also clear out beta amyloid. This is that waste product that builds up. We see this a lot in Alzheimer's patients, but it can really disrupt cognitive activity for anybody. So this rest time is crucial just on a biological level. If you want to be the leader in your days, it's also been shown in many studies to make leaders far more effective at motivating, inspiring, or forming teams. Whereas leaders who don't get enough rest are more likely to lose their patience with their employees or act in abusive ways. Or, and I thought this was really interesting, Leaders who don't get enough rest are perceived as 13% less charismatic on average. Isn't that fascinating? Other people are picking up on the fact that we're not getting enough sleep when we're not, and they're finding us less pleasurable or inspiring to be around. (laughs) Now, this is the part of the conversation where I wouldn't blame you at all if you were thinking something like, all right, geez louise, Carly. Of course, I want to rest more. But when in the world is that supposed to happen? Well, I want you to pay special attention to this next section, because rather than adding in something new to your day, there might be a type of rest you are already doing that you might just pay attention to because it's already working for you. 
In this way, we can approach rest in a restful way rather than forcing ourselves to somehow squeeze in respite because that defeats the purpose. There are seven main types of rest, sleep being one of them. But I want you to think about it like this because there are so many places where rest is the norm. For example, when a band is giving a performance, they might take a rest between sets. Or if you ever do yoga, there's a little savasana at the end, a quiet few moments where you just get to integrate. Or even that little interim space between courses when you're out for a fancy meal. These are all periods of rest that don't fall into the category of sleep. In fact, rest has a broader definition than just sleep. In medical care, rest is as fine as the behavior aimed at increasing physical and mental well-being, which usually involves stopping some activity. So while sleep is certainly a restful state, most resting doesn't involve the same level as disengagement as sleep. And Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, she did the most kick-ass TED Talk. If you haven't seen it yet, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But in there, she explained how, quote, We go through life thinking we've rested because we've gotten enough sleep. But in reality, we're missing out on other types of rest we desperately need. The result is a culture of high-achieving, high-producing, chronically tired, and chronically burned out individuals. We're suffering from a rest deficit because we don't understand the true power of rest. End quote. I'd be curious to hear from you how that statement landed. Sometimes when I'm reading something, I can just feel it vibrating in my chest. It just feels so accurate. And so Dr. Sandra Dalton went on to explain the seven main types of rest, and I'm going to go over them with you quickly here. And in the spirit of not having to do all the things, I want you to keep an eye out for the one type of rest that perhaps resonates with you. Maybe you get that vibrating in the chest feeling or it just catches your ear or attention, or it just makes sense, or maybe you're already doing it well. See which one of these stands out to you the most. So number one is physical rest, and that one's pretty straightforward. So sitting down or taking a nap or maybe even getting some sleep. Number two is mental rest. This is when we give our mind a moment of respite. It's recommended, Dr. Sanders says, that every two hours at a minimum, we walk away from our desk if we're working at a desk or from whatever the task at hand is and just let our brain think about something else or do something else for a moment so that it can restore itself. Another type of rest that I think is really interesting here and made a lot of sense for me is sensory rest. You see, our senses are just being barraged with information all day long. We've got lights blinking at us on our screens. We've got things dinging or other sounds coming at us left and right. There's different smells. There's changes in temperature or sensation. And so we really need intentional moments of sensory deprivation to undo some of the stress inflicted by this overstimulating world that we live in. I think about this a lot with my nephews. We have this thing called getting in the nest. And when they're feeling overwhelmed, they're allowed to come hop on Aunt Carly's lap and they'll curl up as small and tight as they can in a little ball in their imaginary egg for what sometimes is three seconds and sometimes it's three full minutes until they feel ready to do what we call hatching they gently crack out of that imaginary egg and then go back on with the rest of their days. So for us as adults, heck yeah, you can crawl into your imaginary egg when nobody's looking, but you can also just turn off your screen for three minutes and close your eyes. Perhaps rub your palms together and put them over your eyes and let that additional bit of heat just soften the muscles on your face for a moment. Or maybe you do set an alarm for an hour before you're ready to go to bed to remind you to start to dim the lights a little bit. Perhaps turn off a screen or two or reduce the amount of sensations and information coming your way. Now, the fourth type of rest is creative rest. Now, this particular type of rest is really essential for anybody who needs to solve problems or have some new ideas. 
Because creative rest reawakens that sense of awe and wonder inside of us. It gets our curiosity going. This can look like just noticing beauty. So being out in nature, examining the edges of a leaf or of a tree. If you follow me on social media, you know I love to make these mandalas outside with objects I find, natural objects on the ground. You can see photos of them on Instagram. But this can also look like just appreciating the arts, looking at an image that you find beautiful or drawing something. You don't need to be skilled at drawing doodles count or dancing or looking at the works of other types of artists or poets or painters that you appreciate. In this way, we allow the brain to reactivate its creative center and refresh that part of our cognitive function. Now, I'm going to describe this one perhaps in a way you understand, especially if you're a high achiever, because we see this one crop up for a lot of motivated women, which is that feeling of being the person everyone counts on. And you like being in that role. You like supporting other people, but you also feel secretly resentful or maybe underappreciated or like you're failing in some way, even though other people celebrate you for how much you do because you can't get to it all. Well, that means it's time for some emotional rest or what Dr. Dalton Smith explained, quote, having the time and space to freely express your feelings and cut back on people pleasing, (laughs) end quote. So emotional rest really requires us to summon the courage to be honest with ourselves and with other people about what we actually need. And a person who is emotionally rested can then start to answer questions a lot more honestly. So for example, maybe you're like my dear friend, Alana, and I love when I ask her, hey, how are you doing? And she'll say, I'm mostly good, (laughs) which is so honest. I'm mostly good. There are some things that are kind of tricky or hard or really challenging me right now. And she is allowing herself to be the fullness of what she is. It's also okay to say, I'm not okay, or I'm having a tough time, or I'm glad to be here with you because other things are giving me a run for the money right now. We're voicing the things that need to be said. Now, if you're craving emotional rest, there's also a good chance that the next type of rest is also on the docket for you. And that is social rest. It is incredibly common, even for the grandness of extroverts, to have a social rest deficit. So this occurs when we're not discerning between the relationships that give us life, the ones that energize us from the relationships that drain us. Let me give you the seventh type of rest here. And this is spiritual rest. And I'm not talking about religion when I say spiritual rest. Oh, that is certainly a place that many people connect with what bolsters their spirit. But what I am referring to here is any practice or place or person that gives you a sense of belonging or love or acceptance or purpose. So when we're in this space, we're feeling engaged with something greater than just ourselves individually. We're feeling inspired. We're feeling gusto, reinvigorated. So quick recap on those seven types of rest. Keep an ear out for the one that speaks to you. There's physical, mental, sensory, creative, emotional, social, and that spirit bolstering type of rest. Now tell me if you're the same way. But all this talk about rest is great. And my hope is that there has been some approach in what we've covered so far that's helpful. But I always like to see real life examples. I want to know on a very practical, pragmatic level, what is and isn't working for people in tough circumstances or tough industries where nourishment for leaders or team members or family members isn't the norm. And the hospitality industry is certainly one of those places. So as you might have heard when Dan Landis joined us on episode 89, being hospitable to yourself, there's a really funny paradox in the hospitality industry. Because the point of this industry is to help calm people's central nervous systems, to help us shift out of fight or flight over a good meal or a comfortable place to stay back into a more pleasurable physical and mental space 
But if you're like me and you've ever worked in this field, then you know that what goes on behind the scenes in hotels and restaurants and similar areas is often anything but peaceful. We see this a lot in nonprofit environments where the mission of the organization is wonderful and it's profound and it's here to help other people. And yet it is depleting its staff in the process. And so while the intention is to create good in the world, there's also harm being created behind the scenes. And that is not authentic or sustainable for anyone. So check out what Dan did in his restaurants when he tried to pioneer a way of creating a more reciprocal culture where both the guests and the staff could be a healthier as a result of this work. When you're running a bar, it's not just the guests that are having a good time. Like a good bar is everybody is sort of in on the, on the good time. And that can really wear people out. That can really burn people out. And that concerned me because it wasn't as though I was going to stop bar culture and say, this is a bar, but the employees aren't going to have a beer or a shot after a, after a rush. This is the culture of a bar. But the burnout and the addiction and these kinds of things, that wasn't what I was trying to encourage people to do. I was trying to encourage them to enjoy their jobs, have a good time, but definitely take care of themselves. And so as an active person myself and a practitioner of yoga and a long distance runner, I was always just like, yeah, have a couple of beers, have a drink or two, but make sure you get up in the morning and drink a lot of water and that you move your body and that you break a sweat because there's just no doubt. There is just no doubt that that is going to make you a better, more productive human being and not just human being, but when you're also in the in your position as an employee, you're going to bring a better self to that position. And let in, but the but the lifestyle because we're also dealing with young people, eighteen to twenty six, was sort of the demographic. And so the body is very resilient, and there's a lot of good times to be had. And these were people that were involved in music and art and a real social scene. And that social scene in Denver, and I imagine in other places as well, really revolves around drinking. And then in a lot of bars, it revolves around drugs. The drinking was a part of the culture at Sidio City at the time that I was there, but the drugs were never a part of the culture. But it was always just a, a, a fraction of an inch away. I'm sure it was there. It just wasn't in my, it wasn't in my sphere. It wasn't part of my interest. So that concerned me because it's like you're building the foundation for the rest of your life. And you're in this environment because you want to participate in it. You're in this environment because you like, if you're working the night shifts, you want to be a part of this scene. And, you know, there's lines out the door and it was, it was a blast. But if you're also not creating good habits, then, you know, you get to be 30 and you look like you're 45, you look like you're 50. And, and I see it all the time because you just didn't regenerate. You didn't detox more than you retoxed. You know, you were, you were in a real state of intoxication. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to be as transparent and authentic and honest as possible because I just would never want to put a shine on something that wasn't always shiny, wasn't always just rainbows and, and downward dogs. It was a lot of balance. There was a lot of balance between the two realities in this place where we had the efficiency and the progressive movement of being vegetarian and vegan and having a lot of healthy offerings. But then we also had whiskey and mixed drinks and beer and, and all of these other things. So, it, so in, in a poetic way, it was very balanced. And so I think to introduce the concept of wellness inside of a real busy urban restaurant also created that balance. It wasn't a predominant thing. The 20 to 26-year-olds weren't necessarily interested in going and doing a yoga class after their shift, but they certainly were interested in the shift drink that they had after their, <laughs> where they could sit around and, and socialize and do that. But what, does that, what seeds did that plant? What did that mean when they were moving forward? How did they see that in what they expected from their future employers? Did they say, well, at my last job, I didn't take advantage of it, but at my last job, we got free yoga classes. How are $5 yoga classes? Can we do something like that? So I think it was 
it was creating a new culture. And I think what you're speaking to is this idea that that just didn't exist before. So it exists now. And now it's far more common than it was when we started doing it six or seven years ago, maybe even longer than that, maybe 10 years ago. But now because we started it, then employees started asking that question, what are the health benefits here? Not just health insurance, but what are, what are you doing to support my healthy lifestyle? It became basically a non-negotiable for them moving forward, which is self-care is got to be baked into my career. Self-care has to be a part of my day. And in the middle of the day, like a lot of people in the middle of the day, if they were working longer shifts, they took two hours. We had an office where they could change, they could get ready, they could go into the yoga studio, and they could come back and decompress and then go back. And so so let's say that 20% of the people took advantage of it, which, which is probably about right. Wow, those 20 people really did something for their lives that was like, self-care is part of my day. It's not this idea of separation where I go to work and then I have self-care. What happens if you can do both, if that's part of your day? What Dan was speaking to here in this episode is really important because it reminds me that the overworking culture is something that most of us have been living with for a while. And that change might happen gently, one step at a time, and that we might not see all of the results right away, but that doesn't mean it isn't working. We can turn the tides with practice and certainly with a community that normalizes personal sustainability as part of thriving careers and health and relationships. So with that in mind, I want to know what stood out to you from this month's conversation around rest as a professional tool. Come be part of this messy and magnificent community and leave a review on iTunes or send a voice memo over to Anitza. I want to hear what's bubbling up. Maybe it's something you've heard here on an episode or a piece of research we shared, or maybe it's just something rising within you. And speaking of Anitza, She is going to join me as the co-host on our next episode. I cannot wait for you to get to meet her. So I hope you'll join me next week. And in the meantime, remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the rest you need. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.